Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the Booth with the Orange undefeated in hoops. What a game that was last night. So much fun. Hope you were there at the Carrier Dome, a crowd of... 20,000 and change. If you're there, you can call us. If you weren't there, you can call us. Anybody can call us. 315-4ESPN44. That's 315-437-7644. If you'd like to chime in on the show, in the booth, brought to you by CH Insurance, cnyrealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. On the show today, we'll talk with LaFonso Ellis of ESPN. He was the analyst on the television broadcast of the game last night with Rich Hollenberg. Rich, I know, is doing the Kansas game in Miami with one guess, and he's awesome, baby, with a capital A, Richard Vital, doing uh, that game. So maybe LaFonso is going to do the other game in Miami. We'll ask him that because uh, Dickie B does not do double headers anymore. Homie, don't play that. And uh, headphones are very loud, nice and clear. These are better headphones than mine. I might have to wear these more often. Um, so that's uh, what a game that was last night, though. We're going to talk about it extensively and uh, get LaFonso's thoughts on it and how he thinks it projects for the season based on the other teams he's seen. Maryland is a tournament caliber team. Syracuse beat them, I think, fair and square. Uh, you know, if Maryland is in the upper half or better in the, the Big Ten, let's, I think they were preseason fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, uh, you know, for them, the only thing from a Maryland perspective that you say, well, we didn't give it our best shot, is they were playing their third game in four days all on the road. But uh, that's what happens. That's what happens at tournament time. Syracuse had its best player injured going into the game, and he stepped up at the right moment. Last year, probably, we had so many good games. In fact, there was three, four in a row, last second, final possession games, and uh, that was as fun a stretch as I can remember. And of course, we've had the Jerry McNamara run at the tournament in in, uh, in New York and all of those things. But maybe I'm just in a, a better mood than normal. I, I last night was just it was a blast. I mean, it was a major conference opponent, first of the year. The Matt Rowe connection. We talked with him, seeing Matt there in his. Uh, he had his muted Maryland stuff on with a black uh, vest, and uh, Trevor Rowe was flying that. Maryland flag pretty hard last night, but uh, they had a blast to uh, see our friends from Maryland. We don't get to see uh, very often. The great uh, Johnny Holiday is my uh, counterpart at Maryland and a, a class act. And then, you know, you watch a major conference team step on the floor, it gets the juices flowing. Three officials that you see doing major games everywhere and a uh, great vibe. Fans were into it really for the first time. And this is with all due respect to the Iona, Oakland, Toledo. Those are good teams. Those are teams that are going to be at the top of their league and fight for the tournament. Totally legit games, a lot of fun, but it doesn't get the juices flowing the same way as last night's game did. 20 ties, or 20 lead changes, I'm sorry, 15 ties in the game. It was tight throughout. And even the idea that 
Maryland's biggest lead was four and Syracuse's was seventh. Well, that is kind of a misleading thing because Syracuse went on an eight-nothing run. They built the lead to seven. It was 32-25. to 25, And Maryland came back immediately and scored the next eight points. So that, it's false to think that anybody even ever really had a three-possession lead in the game because it was instantaneously a race. Kevin Herter added a lot of drama to the game. Maryland's best player last night was a Syracuse recruit that got away. In a way, you're going to hear Coach Beheim's comments on how that happened, but uh, easy to root for. Uh, a Shenandoah High School kid, state champion in football, or I'm sorry, in uh, basketball and baseball. Um, excellent passer, tremendous shooter, and on top of that, buried one big shot after another. And all that said, Syracuse was the better team last night, played from the lead more often, uh, took care of the basketball, Frank Howard was excellent. Tyus Battle scored seven points in the final minute. He scored Syracuse's last nine points altogether in the game. The Orange core really was the group with Marek Dolajai in the game. He played 30 minutes. Brahma Sidibe and Pascal Chukwu more or less split time, but Sidibe was in there in a lot of the crunch. And then Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, and uh, O'Shea Brissett. Battle sat out three minutes in the, I believe those were in the first half, and Brissett and Howard played 40 minutes apiece. You you can't ask more out of Frank Howard. Did not really make it from deep. Certainly not a strength of uh, O'Shea Brissett either. So I think if you were looking at nitpicking or a way that the Orange could be ideal or improve on last night, Frank Howard's got to shoot from deep because he can make those. He's got to stretch the defense and needs that to be honored. Last night he happened to go one for seven. I'm not sure O'Shea Brissett has shown uh, any sort of shooting range, and he's so good around the basket. Why not just have him lurk there and hang out around the rim? 13 rebounds. I don't know that anybody comes to mind recently as a Syracuse player that was a more gifted, uh, natural, willing rebounder. Uh, Brissett is going to get as many as he wants, and is going to break every record this side of Derek Coleman when it comes to rebounding. He is uh, absolutely superb at that very important aspect of the game. And uh, I, I don't recall, Rick Jackson got a lot of rebounds, but in a different way. He, he kind of uh, cleared out space, and, and they came to him. Carmelo got a lot of rebounds. Um, Carmelo feels like a big, because of the way he's thickened out in, in the pros, Carmelo feels like a much bigger, thicker player than what O'Shea is now. Um, but you got it, and, and, and Carmelo averaged 10 rebounds a game. O'Shea's going to be right near there. And uh, that gets him some easy putback baskets. It stops runs of the other team, and uh, a lot of good things going there. Lots to be excited about coming out of. Last night's game is the Orange are 6-0. and They'll be underdogs in uh, Miami on Saturday, of course, to a very good Kansas team that's number two in the country. But then you got to feel good about getting back on track against Connecticut in the games that follow. I have one question for the voice of the Orange after last yeah. night's game. 6-0 and right now. Do you think Frank Howard has turned the corner? You know, I, I'm always a little slow to pronounce that. That's really the conversation going on in football, right? Yes. The people that are upset now, that are really upset at the end of the football season, they were the ones thinking that the Clemson win meant that Syracuse was in the upper echelon of the ACC in football. Um, 
I'm not ready to say that yet. I'm telling you, he's playing the best basketball of his career. He looks like a different guy. I want to lean toward there has been market improvement, and he he is above some of the things that have held him back in the past. The only asterisk I want to put on it with Frank Howard is he got off to a good start last year too. And Frank has um, had a lot of his best games against lesser opponents. Last night, obviously an extreme departure from that. He had almost had a triple-double against uh, not just a Big Ten team, but a good one. And so that was really a great game for Frank. I think you need to see it again and again. But he's had three really good games in a row. You could argue he's had his three best games of his career consecutively. So he's as close to having, quote, turned the corner. But I don't really know what that means. I mean, it doesn't – you don't go into a different league or get spotted points or uh, anything like that to, to quote, unquote, say you've turned the corner – I come back specifically to shooting, which is only one aspect of his game. Last year, at this time of the year, you thought, whoa, this guy's making 40%, 50% of his shots. He's he's awesome. Shoot away. And he did not sustain that. Uh, I feel very confident about what he can bring on a regular basis. Um, you know, can he flirt with a triple-double every night? I don't know about that. But I love the look in his eye. The one play of the game, we should have gotten the, the highlight of this for the show today, how about the chase down block and then getting the basket at the other end? You know, um, never in his first two years would you conceive a play like that of, of Frank Howard. So uh, really excited for him and the, the way that uh, he seems to be just kind of carrying himself and uh, leading this team. And there's still room for improvement. You know, Geno Thorpe's got to give more when he gets in there. Matthew Moyer's got to give more. But... That other core, Marek Dolajai, I think, continues to amaze in terms of what he does, what he's willing to do. He dives on the floor. He goes after uh, loose balls and rebounds. O'Shea, that's not going away. I think he'll only get better with his offensive game. He's got to drive people to the basket. He's got to be active around the rim. I don't think he needs to be shooting three-pointers. And uh, I think those are the types of adjustments that you learn in November December so you're a better team in conference play. Uh, exciting stuff. So if you'd like to join us, you can at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44, area code 315. Uh, why don't we get into the sound here before we uh, turn our attention to LaFonso Ellis. But this is how it went down. The game, to this point, had 19 lead changes. Howard with 10 on the timer. Howard to the free throw line. Wide left. Battle wants three. Give him three. Orange by two with a minute to go. Tyus Battle feeling good right now. The Hall of Famer's got his arms up. Well, and that forced a timeout by Kansas with a minute left. It was uh, after Battle had scored the previous two points, and then he scored seven in the final minute because they got him on the line as well. So, to me, another one of the things, just last night's game seems so fresh. It seemed like it was unfolding in front of us in in a way that games uh, otherwise don't, where it kind of had this, predictable script. Was it like a law and order? You could say, hey, Battle's going to step up here and have his best plays at the end of the game. He was kind of conserving energy a little bit. Didn't want to uh, really push it after having fallen on his tailbone in the previous game. Uh, You could see a couple of times where he maybe took it easy, but as long as he was going to be there for him in the final minute, you felt good about Syracuse, and he came through in that situation. So that was incredible. Uh, The Kevin Herter aspect of it, I think, uh, led to some intrigue. Fans that follow recruiting uh, or even uh, high school basketball in the state would 
know of Kevin and Coach Beheim went on the offensive uh, right away about that postgame. It was a great win. Uh, Frank made a great play to get the ball to Tyus for that corner three. Uh, and then, you know, he, he, the long play worked good, and Tyus made those two big free throws. Herter's a tremendous player. You know, we really wanted him bad. We just didn't have a scholarship. And it, that's the thing about the NCAA thing. That's what hurts you when you can't get a kid like that that's an upstate kid that would be perfect for us the way he plays. So uh, that's why I was so disappointed to lose him. Well, and you can see that. You can see that Herter obviously would be a great fit here. And, of course, Syracuse has other players, <laughs> a la Tyus Battle, in that uh, sophomore class that are awfully good fits here, uh, too. But uh, that's what happens when you have sanctions. You can't get them all. And uh, the understanding is that uh, Syracuse wanted Herter maybe to go to prep school and, and uh, delay for a year. Uh, the other programs that were courting him, like Notre Dame and Maryland, uh, gave him the option to play right away, and he started every game last year uh, for Maryland. So uh, if he was looking for playing time right away, then uh, that worked out for him. He will likely be a starter and a productive player in his uh, whole time with the Terps, and uh, Coach Mark Turgeon really likes him. So uh, that's Herter, and and uh, Coach Beheim, uh, very unusual for him to have done that, to have addressed recruiting or a big picture thing in his comments to us post game he typically uh breaks down exactly what had happened uh just in front of him there but uh, a little bit of a departure uh from that last night to address Herder. i'm sure he was anticipating a question in the uh, post game press conference about uh kevin and his recruitment and why he was in red and black and gold last night and not in the orange and blue but uh lots going on with a tremendous game. We'll talk about it with LaFonso Ellis, former Notre Dame star and uh, now an ESPN analyst who had the game here in the Dome last night. That's when we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Saturday, the Orange are in Miami to face the Kansas Jayhawks. Coverage starts at 4 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Good to have you back with us in the booth. Brought to you by Burdick Ford, CNYRealtor.com, and CH Insurance. You heard the promo. Next Orange basketball game is Saturday at 5.30 in Miami, the home of the Heat, America Airlines Arena, and Syracuse will take on number 2 Kansas, a game we're very excited for. Two-game trip. The Orange will then go on to New York to play Connecticut and Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. LaFonso Ellis had the broadcast last night on uh, ESPN. He uh, joins us now from his home, still in South Bend, right, Fonz? <laughs> I, right. I am. We moved here about 10 years ago from Minneapolis. Not a boy. And uh, yeah, I know you were in the Minneapolis there for a while after your uh, lengthy uh, NBA career, too. And uh, what'd you think? We're still kind of buzzing. I just thought, and obviously, uh, when the home team comes out on the uh, the upper end, you have a better feeling about that game. I just thought that was a lot of fun last night and a pleasure to be courtside for a back-and-forth, really tight game that felt like March. Uh, indeed, and I think we've experienced that just in this early basketball season with some great matchups, and I, I enjoyed the ACC Big Ten Challenge each and every year, but last night, man, that place was electric. I, didn't, I was amazed at how many of the Syracuse fans were actually there, and the energy in the building was terrific. And I thought it was a really good sign for what's to come for the Orange because obviously four freshmen uh, in the lineup, and typically when you have youth that way, 
they usually don't close games very well, but I think we're starting to see an identity uh, for Syracuse. I don't think any different than what we thought in that Ty's battle would be the go-to guy down the stretch. Uh, Frank Howard, I thought, was masterful last night at not only on the defensive end, I think he ended up having six or seven steals, but he was terrific at getting in gaps and finding guys. And so I'm really excited about the Orange team, and I don't think last night was just kind of a a flyby situation. I think it's, it's something that they can certainly build on. Well, you've been around long enough to know the pattern where Coach Beheim's most iconic teams have started from way back in the pack and have built up over the course of the season. And it's one thing to say in October, oh, I think they'll surprise some people. But then when you start to see it unfold, and there's a long way to go. Last year at this time, we thought that last year's team was world beaters and was you know a cinch to make the Elite Eight and everything, right? Sure. And uh, that sure. Uh, did not work out for, for various reasons. So let's uh, pump the brakes just a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but do, do you see the, the makings here? I think particularly Frank Howard. We just spent the, the first segment talking a little bit about him, that uh, he is providing much more than I think could have been projected uh, off of uh, his the back of his baseball card the last two years. Yeah, I, I and MP, you and I have talked about this off air. I've always been a big fan of, of Frank, going even back to his freshman year. Uh, he was struggling, obviously, with some confidence issues. Thought that early on started, I think, the first 10 games of last year. But then all of a sudden, you know, the team didn't get out to a good start. I think they were 8-6 and six to start the season. And, of course, they ended up going with John Gillen at the starting position. And, and then that's one thing that can – mess with your confidence but then coming off the bench and he would go in he was always playing kind of looking over his shoulder and you just can't play this game with uh, in lacking with confidence this year I knew we'd see I didn't know he'd shoot the basketball as well as he shot the basketball but I thought we'd see a much more stable uh really steady Frank Howard and I think we're starting to see what I thought he could do the entire time but what's the difference (laughs) He's the guy now at the point at the point guard position, not having to look over his shoulder. He threw a basketball away last night, made a turnover. I was interested to see what his body language is going to be like, and it was what I thought it would be. And that's he knows he's not coming out of the game after he makes a miscue. And so I'm so happy for the Orange and the Orange Nation to see him playing at the level that he's played. And I think his best basketball is still ahead of him. Yeah, last night Howard one of seven from three point range, which uh, would not indicate tremendous shooting. He was five of. 10 on two pointers and got to the line, made both of those. So you can uh, live with that. And uh, we talked about the distribution of, of three point shooting. That's probably not a, a strength of this team this year. They're sure. uh, last night three of uh, 18, but you can find a way. Yes. And you're a guy who played around the rim. How about O'Shea Brissett as a freshman? Uh, three double doubles and six starts so far. Yeah, his ability to get into the lane is what's so impressive. And uh, you know, you take a couple where he's going in and, and maybe one against two and he tries to get it up on the backboard instead of moving the basketball. But I felt this team different from last year's team. I feel this team's got a little edge and a little toughness to them. And it's not to say that last year's team wasn't, but I think it shows up in, in areas where the basketball's on the floor. You got three white jerseys around the basketball last night on those 50-50 balls. But then more tangibly shows up in their ability to get on that glass. They had 18 <laughs> offensive rebounds in last, night game, in last night's game. I think they're averaging 16 to 17 offensive rebounds on the year. So you're seeing a longer, much more athletic, slimmer, but front line for for the Orange. And I think 
that will make up for their inability to be able to knock down three-point shots because they're getting second and third possessions on the offensive glass. Yeah, the offensive glass has been extraordinary. The fact that uh, Syracuse and Maryland came into the game last night second and third in rebounding margin Mm -hmm. in the country, and Mm -hmm. uh, Syracuse had the edge on the boards the entire game and and wound up uh, winning that particular aspect 39-33. And uh, LaFonso Ellis is with us, had the game on uh, ESPN last night. You used the word slimmer, and the poster boy for slimmer is Marek Dolezal, who <laughs> you know might be the skinniest kid in, in all of major major college basketball. But right. it's gone from you know we kind of mention it as a as a joke, but we're not making light of the kid. He he just seems to be so good at knifing into the right position that who cares? And you almost wonder if that would be affected adversely if he was two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, it, you know, coming in, I knew he wasn't your typical European basketball player, meaning a guy who could stand on the outside and shoot the basketball, having to adjust to the physicality of the American game. Dolezal gets in there and mixes it up, and he's one of those guys that if you don't, like, get a hand on him or some part of the body, he's going to that offensive glass and he's coming up with them. That's the impressive thing about this front line here that Syracuse has this year. Again, the second and third jumps uh, in the air for that entire front line, maybe say for Chukwu, is, is really impressive. And so Dolezal gives – and I think he's one of those guys. We talked about toughness earlier. I think he, though he's slim, I think he brings in an air of toughness and physicality uh, across that front line, something that I didn't see last year with any regularity. Yeah, second jump is something that the scouts look for. And Brissett is as fast off the floor as anybody I can remember here. You know, and, and maybe it's just long enough since we've seen Jeremy Grant and people like that in sure. person. I mean, he could really jump. Hakeem Warwick could really jump. But uh, mm-hmm. Brissett as a freshman just seems to have a magnet in terms of getting rebounds. And it gives you kind of a calming feeling. You know, that, there's been a lot of years here recently where – Syracuse was not a great rebounding team, and you yeah. sort of write it off in the zone. You say, well, uh, that's the cost of doing business in the zone. You don't box out, so you're, you're going to get out-rebounded from time to time. Well, they've out-rebounded everybody they played this year, including a Maryland team <laughs> that had rebounded everybody it had played uh, prior to uh, last night. Yeah. And I think Brissett's a, a big part of setting the tone there. How cool is it for a freshman to be doing that? Absolutely. And, and what happens is, MP, as I was looking at it last night, it's what, usually you have maybe one guy on the team who just has a knack and a nose and an instinct for going after basketball. Syracuse this year has like three, <laughs> maybe yeah. even four. And the guards even rebound the basketball ball well. But I, I do think you're exactly right. Uh, O'Shea Brissett, uh, he, he, he's so good at getting in the lane, but he puts that basketball up on the rim, and he's up there after it knowing that he's going to miss it quicker than anyone else on the floor. And you're talking about a Maryland team. They've got some pretty athletic forwards and centers across their front line, too. And so, again, the sky's the limit for this kid. The only thing he's missing is experience. And so, as the year goes on, I think you're going to see number 11 uh, for the Orange just continue to blossom. I thought he was passing to himself a couple of times last night. (laughs) Uh, Moses Malone? Yeah, another uh, minute with LaFonso Ellis. Uh, The Orange uh, play Kansas. In Miami, the other game is uh, Clemson. Is uh, Miami and Princeton? Do you have that one? I saw Dickie V is doing the is doing the Kansas Syracuse game. You, what and and I I guess I, I would ask that. Do you have the game in Miami? And in general, in your travels this year, who have you seen that we should be uh, keeping an eye out for? Whether it's in the ACC or across the country, who who do you like? 
Yeah, no, I, I don't have that game this weekend. I've actually just done 11 events in 11 days. So oh. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting a chance to exhale here <laughs> over over the next uh, uh, five days before I actually get, get back uh, engaged here. But uh, in staying with the ACC, I, I thought Virginia, in the absence uh, of their point guard who graduated, I, I thought that they would take a big-time step back but Isaiah Wilkins is the heart and soul of that team and the anchor of that team on the defensive end, and they're back to their old defensive ways. This is now, what, two teams in uh, just seven days that they've held to under 40 points <laughs> in a game. So that, that, that defense is back to the caliber that it had been. So I think uh, much like Syracuse, I think they were undervalued in the ACC and, and not uh, ranked properly. Um, those that that team has has really impressed me right out the, right out the start. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Syracuse plays Virginia both home and road this year, and we uh, tend to wrap up. We uh, have our man Polly who's pushing all the buttons here, Lafonso. We give him one question per show, so you're the uh, you're the target today. I, I actually have two questions because 1992, you came to the Carrier Dome and lit up the orange. Uh, what were your memories from that game? 28 points, number 10, tenth ranked orange. Notre Dame. <laughs> and Syracuse had won 20 in a row at the Dome to that point. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know oh, that. No, you know, you're, like you're apologizing always, for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, always, uh, you know, those schools that, well, Syracuse being one of my final four schools, you always want to play well. And I, I was always very comfortable and confident uh, in, in the Dome. And, uh, yeah, just uh, senior year, last opportunity to play in one of the iconic uh, arenas all in all of college basketball and uh, with three other seniors you had a lot to play for and you know sometimes you go on the road you, you certain things have to go really well for you if I remember correctly I thought we as a team shot the ball very well from the uh, from from the field and we had won at at the Carrier Dome my sophomore year on a three-point shot from Elmer Bennett who was a senior my senior year and so we always had a lot of confidence going into the Carrier Dome and so I'm sure that confidence helped us pull that one off. Those highlighter green uniforms still were stupid. I just want you to know. <laughs> uh, my understanding is that everybody throughout the country thought they were having some issues with the color on their TV. And so, yeah, but uh, how about Digger Phelps in that case? He, he was before his time with coming up with these weird-looking uniforms in different colors, right? Yeah. I want to hit you one more thing. You guys were an independent that year, and you guys did not duck anybody on your schedule. You, uh, yeah, Indiana, yeah. South, uh, yeah. USC, Kentucky, Syracuse, mm-hmm. Duke. Mm-hmm. Just look mm-hmm. at St. John's. You, you, you scheduled like Texas Southern. You played uh, at, at Valpo, at BC, at Kentucky, at USC, at LaSalle, at West Virginia, at Virginia, at Marquette. That was uh, all in December and January. Wow. Were, were they renovating yeah. uh, the Joyce Center or what? Not at all. No, it, it was you know, being an independent. And we see that playing out, and it actually uh, hurt Syracuse in, in the last few years. And that Digger always wanted to make sure that we played an elite schedule. So when it came down to the end, if it was going to be close and we were going to be a bubble team, that our strength of schedule and RPI would uh, slide us off the bubble and, and, and into the tournament. And so, uh, yeah, one of the reasons why I went there, I wanted to play against some of the best schools in the country, USC, UCLA, out west. Uh, we picked up even um, – Michigan and played the Fab Five uh, the first time starting together my my senior year and obviously Syracuse North Carolina Georgia Tech all of those guys on the schedule and so what what a great ex- what a great experience 
Awesome. Well, good stuff, man, and uh, great to hear from you. I'm sure we'll see you again down the road uh, in one of these games here or there. So uh, we appreciate your insights, and best of luck, okay? I wish you guys well. Thank you so much. LaFonso Ellis had the game on uh, ESPN last night, along with uh, Syracuse grad Rich Hollenberg, and Rich will have the game with Dick Vitale Saturday in Miami as the Orange take on Kansas. More to come in the booth when we continue here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. I think they're that brick, that cornerstone. I think they're going to be part of the foundation that we set, that we're building upon. And then when we turn this thing around, when we do win, I think people are going to look back on the 2017 class as a key part of that. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM and 1440 AM. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Here's Joe Salzone. The school board in Akron, Ohio, has approved a plan from LeBron, uh, LeBron James's foundation to build a new public school. According to the LeBron, uh, LeBron James Family Foundation, the, quote, I Promise School will begin classes in the summer and will be aimed at students in the third and fourth grade who are at risk of falling behind. The school should be open next fall. Love it. Uh, anytime you hear these athletes who all make ridiculously scary money, just stupid money, anytime that they're doing something beyond the 14th and 15th car and the 6th house and the 3rd plane and uh, are given back to help somebody in their community or, in, in this case, start a school that can uh, give and give and give, I think it's uh, tremendous. Wish more people would follow LeBron's lead, and uh, LeBron does a lot of things right. I could have used that school. <laughs> yes, you can use it now. <laughs> Darrell Rivas is new to the Kansas City Chiefs, but he already stands to make millions of dollars in 2018. ESPN reports Rivas signed a two-year deal last week. He could make as much as $13.5 million next year. Speaking of remedial, Polly has his <laughs> phone ringer on radio in a rule number one. radio studio. ESPN reports Rivas signed a two-year deal last year. Last week. I changed it on my copy. How does that help me? It doesn't. Okay. So, the, well, the, what, what are you telling us? So the question I have is, Revis, if he took the minimum from the Chiefs, would still make $6 million a year from the Jets, I believe. So yeah, that, that would, would put him at about this. would also be an important part that should have been in that sentence. Yes, right? Yeah. So the fun part is really guessing how and why Joe left important information out of these stories. I'm not very good at that. But uh, I could be wrong yeah, in that. So he's already getting paid. He's making, yes. yeah. So he's going to make a lot of money. NFL corner making millions. <laughs> Breaking Shocking. news, Joe. Thank you. What else? All right. Uh, quick question, Paulie. I know uh, his answer is yes. Ever seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Ever not seen it? It's every year. I could probably quote every line in it. So you know that scene where they take the Christmas tree from the roots and they put it on the top of the... Uh, Station it's wagon. not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <laughs> well, police in a small Massachusetts town posting a picture on Friday of a car that was almost entirely obscured by a large Christmas tree on its roof, cautioning people on how to not transport trees this season. Pretty full. A lot of sap. <laughs> Bend over and I'll show you. 
All right. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. All right, Joe. Great work on that Joe, Revis my, story. Yeah, my, <laughs> my Christmas wish, Joe, is that the, the stories are complete. Even in the little burbs. You know, complete. I'll work on it. Okay. Important details not left out of the stories. Although I guess it leads for more conversation. And that's your job, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> I guess We're trying to figure day. out what that is. <laughs> conversation uh, starter. Back with more. We'll see if we can... Figure out what's happening with these SEC coaches and the carousel fully up to speed. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange play and man-to-man defense. Gray's looking, played in the Heinrich, spins up the left side, fading away, firing, three-pointer, it's over, it's over! The Orange have won it! Syracuse has won the national championship! Hey, this is Jerry McNamara. Come out to Tully's on Erie Boulevard tonight for the Log GMAC show with ESPN from 7 to 8. There'll be trivia and a chance to win a $25 gift card to Tully's and an autographed basketball. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Sunday, the Giants head west to battle the Oakland Raiders. Pre-game at 325. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth with you here until the top of the hour, about 10 minutes or so, and we'll see if in that time we can figure out exactly what's happening in the college football coaching carousel. Of course, the epicenter of that right now is Tennessee. We can come back to that in a second. Florida did it right. They moved quickly to get somebody that is very much seeded for success. He already is a head coach in the SEC, first and foremost. Florida is the type of place that has the resources to bring on coaches that are already in the best conference. And a no-brainer for Dan Mullen, who had done a great job at Mississippi State and Starkville, is thought to be, the, by many, is thought to be the second-best coach in the SEC to Nick Saban. He was, by the way, a graduate assistant here at Syracuse very briefly, 1998, uh, a year for him to uh, have that role. And then uh, on up through the coaching ladder, offensive coordinator as a national champion at Florida Head coach at Mississippi State, as you know, uh, Dak Prescott uh, would be his greatest uh, success there. And then on to Gainesville, where the athletic director had also come from Mississippi State. So he knows he's going into a place where he will have a good working relationship with the AD, a place with resources, a place with expectations. And uh, it looks like Florida made an upgrade there. Now, Florida, from our understanding, has not improved its facilities very well uh, over recent years to keep up with its competition so that might be among the reasons they've lost ground a little bit but they've not been very successful in uh, short tenure coaching uh, tracks for Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain and uh, now the next one in is Dan Mullen but I bet you can count on him uh, to succeed there in what is a tough environment because they were never really any good before Steve Spurrier but after him and they were uh, obviously legendary in his time the expectation is that uh, Florida is going to be competing right in and around the national championship hunt every year. So Tennessee is an epic grease fire, and they look horrible with this idea of hiring Greg Schiano, pulling away from him. Schiano, from again, my understanding, is able to go back to Ohio State as the defensive coordinator, so he doesn't lose quite as much face as you might expect. I would think he is uh, very much due 
some uh, financial remuneration from uh, Tennessee for the uh, angst caused there, a head coaching job that he thought he had pulled out from under, and uh, the Twitter mob coming out, the connections to Penn State and uh, Jerry Sandusky really ostensibly kind of burning Shiano there, but uh, let's be real about it. It really has more to do with the fact that his previous college head coaching job was at Rutgers. He wasn't very successful at Rutgers on paper if you don't really know what was happening, and that's what it sounds like is the case for the Tennessee fan base, just the assumption that Shiano wasn't any good. Shiano made Rutgers into something, and and we know it well from here because it coincided with Syracuse's downturn, coincided in large part to Ray Rice uh, changing his commitment from uh, Syracuse to uh, Rutgers, a new Rochelle kid uh, going to Rutgers and uh, really helping them elevate to prominence. And then Shiano went on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then out of coaching for a little while, doing some television and uh, back to Ohio State for the last couple. And so Shiano's record doesn't look good because he was at Rutgers. They were horrible to start. And because they were horrible and have always been horrible, Rutgers had opportunity to be patient with Shiano. He won. He left. They haven't won since. So Rutgers, in essence, has had, what, four relevant seasons or decent seasons in the history of its program. They've claimed to have played the first ever college football game, and they've stunk for 120 years. And uh, Greg Schiano's the one thing they've had. I I don't figure the typical Tennessee football fan has bothered themselves to to know that. But – and. You can debate whether Shiano was the best fit or the best hire in the first place, but let, let's not pretend that uh, that stigma and the, didn't have anything to do with uh, his now losing that job, and it was certainly as much or more to any apparent connection to the scandal at uh, at Penn State. Certainly the Tennessee fans are upset they didn't get a big name in John Gruden, et cetera, and now they're scrambling, and the latest uh, on Twitter, if that can be believed, is that uh, the arrow is pointing toward Mike Gundy at uh, Oklahoma State, which would really be a great save, I would think, by Tennessee. Their athletic director came from Kansas State. He would know uh, the successful Big 12 coaches, and Gundy for years has not gotten along great with his athletic director. And uh, T. Boone, maybe more more accurately, has not gotten along with uh, T. Boone Pickens all that well, and uh, T. Boone is the guy that writes the checks that run the athletic department at uh, Oklahoma State. His name's on the stadium, and maybe Gundy is uh, ready for a change of scenery. So you can see that working out at Tennessee. They, Texas A&M is open, too. They couldn't bring Kiffin back, could they? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I think if, he was run out in such a inglorious, obvious way. And, uh, you know, Kiffin's a hot shot. Could Kiffin go to Florida State if Jimbo Fisher leaves? You know, of all the times that Jimbo Fisher could leave, why he would go to Texas A&M, I'm not so sure, but Texas A&M is long on money. Uh, Arizona State's an exciting job. I'm sure that'd be a great place to live and work, but now a tough league to to uh, compete in with Washington, Stanford, USC very good, and UCLA just hired Chip Kelly. So all these things are interconnected. Matt Campbell at Iowa State gets a big raise because he's thought to be a hot shot that all these other schools would come after, and then he gets a six-year contract extension at uh, Iowa State. Scott Frost is in a tough spot. Either he didn't want to go to Florida or they didn't want him. 
it, I've heard it said, I don't know if that's accurate, that he's you know maybe not inclined for the prime time of the SEC, but now he's in a bit of a pickle. I'm sure he would love to stay at Central Florida if it paid like all these other jobs because you can win and continue to win at Central Florida. You're just not going to have a shot at the national championship. And I'm not sure how good a shot at the national championship is at Nebraska. It's hard to win at Nebraska, but the expectations are that you're going to win and he is going to feel uh, the call from his alma mater. So uh, it would be an upset at this point if Scott Frost did not go to Nebraska. And you remember Scott Frost was considered here by Mark Coyle when uh, Syracuse wound up with Dino Babers two years ago. Frost went to Central Florida where they had been awful. They were 0-11 in their last year under George O'Leary. And then Frost turns them around to a basically an unbeaten season this year. So uh, he obviously knows what he's doing. Nebraska's akin to Syracuse in that it's a program used to winning, uh, had its days, and in Nebraska's case, it's decades. But it's not as easy now as it once was for your northern powers, your Nebraska, Notre Dame, Michigan, Syracuse, not quite what it was when uh, all of those programs were at their best. There's much more competition. The players are scattered uh, around more. Everybody's on television. And uh, some of the recruiting advantages that you may have had at the height are not there now. So lots of good stuff today. We thank uh, LaFonso Ellis for coming on. Good to talk about that basketball game from last night. Be back uh, tomorrow and Thursday as well. And uh, hope to Get into whatever might be on your mind for conversation regarding Syracuse football and basketball or anything else for that matter. Back at the uh, Sheridan, or the uh, Sheridan, I'm sorry, the Marriott for the Jim Beheim show on Thursday night over at Shaughnessy's. Hope to see you out there. And then Orange Basketball back on the road for the first time this year as they take on Kansas in Miami on Saturday at 5.30. For Joe and Polly, I'm Matt saying so long. This has been In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.